Okay, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we just uh, we thank you and praise you just for the um, the great privilege we have in being able to worship you, uh, being able to uh, have a relationship with the uh, the Creator of the universe, uh, the Redeemer of our lives. Uh, God, I just pray that you would be with us as we continue to study the holy spirit uh, how it is that you have um, worked um, in history and how you continue to work in us um, in the third person and uh, lord we just we just pray that you would just give us a deeper understanding that we would uh, just accurately interpret your word and, and lord that these things would impact our lives and you would be glorified through them we pray in christ's name amen okay so, continuing our study on the Holy Spirit, um, we've had uh, a couple lessons already. We've talked about um, the the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, um, just kind of in His person and how that how that works out um, in the limited knowledge we have of the workings of the Trinity. Um, we've talked about the the Holy Spirit in His actions. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, the various things that uh, that he did during that period. This morning we're going to move into um, the basically the New Testament period, and we're going to begin to to look at his activity specifically in the in the life of Jesus as he uh, was here in the flesh. So as we as we consider that, um, I'm going to ask the question: What's the what's the first event? where the Holy Spirit is involved in the life of Jesus as a human being. What do you think? Birth. What's that? You said birth. Birth? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, that's right. That's the... Um, we, it, we might be tempted to overlook that, but yeah, it's just like in... just I mean, and specifically conception, but I mean, that's, that's tied into that. Yeah. Obviously, a um, well-known passage. Uh, I mean, we talk about this, you know, very frequently when Christmas time comes around. Uh, Matthew chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty. It says, "Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame." resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so, just very clearly, it's stated there that uh, the conception of Jesus uh, is from the Holy Spirit, uh, that somehow the Holy Spirit uh, is involved. Um, Luke gives us a little more detail um, in terms of this, because he records um, the angel coming and speaking to Mary um, about this. Um, So in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 31, the angel is speaking to Mary, and he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Uh, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So there obviously, um, again, the, the Holy Spirit is involved there just in the incarnation, just in the, in the conception of Jesus. Um, it's interesting there because um, it specifically refers to uh, that, that God is going to give him the, the throne of his father David. And so you see there that there's a, there's a, both of those aspects are appearing there, the human nature of Christ, that he's descended from David in the human nature. Uh, but he's also going to be referred to as the Son of God because he was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so you see, you know, both of those things uh, come into play. Um, when we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit in the work of creation, uh, we mentioned, you know, uh, Genesis 1-2, uh, where the Spirit is hovering over the surface of the waters. Um, and many people, many Bible interpreters have looked at this passage here and seeing this where it talks about the, the Most High overshadowing uh, Mary and have, have drawn a connection and basically said that there's there's a deliberate attempt to parallel those two passages. I don't, I don't know that that's absolutely true, but that's certainly a, a possibility that, um, that that's something that's that's going on there. Um, but it's certainly the, the power of God in creating this life of Jesus um, in the in the human sense, um, and it's by the the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, did the Holy Spirit's involvement uh, with the human Jesus end at conception? No, no, no that's I mean that's an easy question. Um, there's a, a prophecy in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, in the first two verses. It actually goes on a little bit farther, but specifically what. We want to look at the first two verses there. Um, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There, I mean, again, you know, um, reference made to Jesse, the father of David. So you have the the human element there, the the um, the the human nature of Christ. Um, but you also have the spirit. Um, it says that the spirit will rest on him, um, and it goes through a number of, of of characteristics there: the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, uh, the fear of the Lord. Um, now, there's some question, I suppose. Um, I, I'm sure that, that uh, you're all familiar with, uh, you know, the baptism of Jesus. We're going to look at that here in just a couple minutes. But, um, you know, there at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus. Um, but, uh, you know, the question is, well, is this, is this prophecy talking about uh, the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus beginning at his baptism? Or... Is that something that takes place um, throughout his life, even before uh, coming to to the baptism of Jesus? 
And again, this is something that's a little hard to come to like a really definitive answer. Uh, but it certainly seems to me that, that there's a, a strong case that can be made that you know the Holy Spirit is just very active in the life of Jesus um, as he's growing up. Even though there's a special blessing of the Holy Spirit that he receives at his baptism, that the Holy Spirit is still working powerfully in him throughout his his life as he's growing up. Um, one thing, when you consider uh, John the Baptist, um, also uh, conceived in a, in a somewhat miraculous way around the same time as Jesus, um, Luke uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, uh, says, uh, But the angel said to him, as speaking to uh, uh, Zechariah. He says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, uh, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, uh, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his, at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So there you see John the Baptist specifically is it's stated that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So um, certainly the idea of someone um, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit throughout their entire life before uh, some special event is not something that would be uh, hard to imagine. And if John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's reasonable to say that Jesus is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And when we look at uh, the, the childhood life of Jesus uh, as he grows up, there's, there's a number of things that are stated that kind of lead us in this direction. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And then a few verses later in verse 52 it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, when you think back to that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 11, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, um, certainly seems to, to you know, sound very similar there, that, um, that it's, it's the spirit that is leading Jesus in his increasing knowledge and wisdom and his favor with God and man. Um, now, when we consider this, I mean, this we're, we're not really um, doing a lesson on the incarnation, um, you know, on the on the, the two natures of Christ and, and all that. But it, it certainly is a something that's very involved in our discussion here. So we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, but when we consider uh, the, those passages in Luke, um, it's it's stated that he's filled with wisdom in the earlier passage. Um, and then in the in the second passage, get the actual verses there. So in verse 40, it says that he's filled with wisdom. And then in verse 52, it says that he increased in wisdom. How can that be? How can it be that uh, that he can increase in wisdom when he's already filled with wisdom? Any thoughts on that? Contradiction of the Bible? I could take a stab at it. Um, okay. And part of it is, as he... I mean, yes, as God, he is full, filled with wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
but there's also a sense where he's probably filled with wisdom too, to the capacity that he's able as a child mm -hmm. versus the capacity that he's able to as sure. a teenager or an adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, but there we're specifically talking about the human nature of Christ, right? Yes. Um, that it's it's you know it's growing in wisdom. Um, the that that part of him, obviously the divine nature, you know, infinite wisdom there, right? Um, but but when we you know when we consider this, we, you know, we see that uh, that Jesus as a human being didn't have everything. He had to learn. He had to grow in wisdom. Um, he, I mean, he didn't know all things. Uh, passage that's often cited in reference to this, Mark chapter 13, verse 32. It says, uh, J Jesus speaking, he says, but concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so there he's talking about that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even know the, the you know, the the day of the, of the final judgment, basically. Um, the, there's, there's this limitation on the knowledge that Jesus has. Um, it also speaks of him learning when we look at, at Hebrews uh, chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So we're, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, and we're saying he learned and he was made perfect. Um, how can that be? How do we how do we understand that? Or did I already just explain it sufficiently? With <laughs> I probably did. So yeah, it's I mean it's it's the human nature, right? It's the the human nature. Uh, Jesus. Um, in his atonement, in his sacrifice for us, he had to come and be a man and live as a man um, and be, in a sense, disconnected from some of the aspects of his divine nature. Uh, ben? Well, and with the became perfect and, and grew obedience, whatever, that's going on from obedience to more obedience. Mm -hmm. It's not that he was sinful and he became obedient. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 definitely that sense of fulfilling the the lifelong obedience that a human being um, owes to God, and specifically the obedience required of Him of you know obedience even to the point of death on the cross. Um, and so yeah, it, but it's it's the the His Him as a representative for us being a man, um, and not just basically just showing up as God. With all knowledge and all power, and just you know, in a sense, you know, just oh, I'll just I'll just do all this stuff. It's like he really had to to come and be like his brethren, uh, to be made like his brethren uh, in all things, yet without sin. Um, and it's it's a uh, again, this is something that it's. I'm not sure you could say definitively this is the case, but it seems to be. That as a man, um, where he was deriving all of his supernatural power, all of his supernatural knowledge, seems to be the work of the Holy Spirit in him. That he was dependent on the Holy Spirit's work in him to do anything that he did that showed his divine nature. Um, that in all other respects, he was limiting himself deliberately 
to simply being a human being and being dependent on the Father granting him through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the supernatural things that we saw him doing. When we come to basically the beginning of his public ministry, there we do get to the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, And Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Again, very familiar passage as we, as we think about um, just our studies of the, of the life of Christ. Um, but when we consider this, why do you think that there was a visible representation of the Holy Spirit coming down on him and an audible voice from heaven uh, where God the Father is proclaiming his, his pleasure and approval in the Son? Why were, why were those things um, manifest where people could see and hear them? Ever considered that? Any ideas? Well, I mean, it, it's a very clear proclamation mm-hmm. of who Christ is. Right. Um, yeah. it, there, there's not a lot of hearing God's voice and seeing mm-hmm. uh, the Holy Spirit. There's not a lot of argument of well, you just misunderstood that. Right. It, it's a clear proclamation of this is my son. This is, and this was the beginning of his earthly ministry. So mm-hmm. God is saying. Here you go. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. It's 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 really just a, a thing that it's a demonstration, it's a proclamation, it's a it's a proof that that's you know that he is who he claimed to be. Um, Additionally, um, I think it's really important if if you didn't have the physical signs from God and the Holy Spirit, then it would have just been John the Baptist baptizing him. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't yeah. have the sacrament of baptism as a means of grace. Yeah, because even though Jesus was baptized, it was significant. That was really God was powering that, uh-huh. showing that, and if we didn't have that, then that would change the way we look and feel about what that sacrament means. Today. Yeah, that's probably true, yeah. yeah. Um, when we consider, um, uh, John himself uh, talks about this, uh, and this is in John one thirty three. John uh, the Baptist is speaking about this. He says, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so in there, it was like a, it was a demonstration to, to John himself. Um, yeah. I was going to say, and also right here, we have multiple witnesses, if you will. Mm-hmm. Because you have God the Father speaking, mm-hmm. and then you have the Holy Spirit descending on him, too. So it's, yeah. it's confirming it through multiple witnesses. Yeah, yeah that, that harkens back to the Old Testament uh, requirement that you know that things not be accepted just on the witness of one person, but that you have multiple witnesses to make sure that somebody isn't falsifying something. So, yeah, you do have, um, you know, basically the, the Father and the Spirit both witnessing to... Um, the uh, you know the nature of who Jesus is. Um, Jesus, I think, even refers to just the the um, you know the confirmation of receiving the Holy Spirit um, in John chapter six. Um, and there he's you know he's he's in this lengthy discourse with uh, with the the Jews who are speaking to him, and he says, 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Um, and something that we can kind of just like kind of brush over as we're considering all the many things that Jesus is saying here. But, um, but God the Father has set his seal on Jesus. Um, he has confirmed him as being uh, his Messiah that he has sent. Definitely a very important thing. What was the immediate result of the Spirit resting on Jesus? Does anybody remember? To go into the desert. Mm-hmm, yeah, he goes out into the wilderness. Um, Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 1 um, says. Uh, says, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan uh, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So there we have both the fullness of the Spirit in him um, and being led into the wilderness. Um, and so, the, you know, the you got this proclamation, you know, this is this is the Savior. This is uh, this is the one that God has promised. Um, but it's not immediately. OK, he's baptized. We go straight to glory. Uh, but he's baptized, and immediately it goes into temptation. It goes into suffering. Um, so perhaps somewhat unexpected, but I mean, obviously, if we're familiar with what the Bible teaches, this is exactly what um, what God had said would happen. Um, in uh, in John chapter three, verse thirty four. Um, uh, Jesus again speaking says, "For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure." Um, and there again, Jesus is, um, in a sense, stating his own authority and is speaking of the fact that he receives the Spirit without measure. Um, he's got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Um, you could even tie in Colossians uh, chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen. Uh, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and every uh, and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so the fullness of the Holy Spirit is there empowering Jesus. Um, and of course he goes out into the wilderness and he uh, confounds Satan uh, by quoting scripture um, and after that, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, uh, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So as he goes out, after going through his temptation, he goes out into his ministry. Um, he's going in the power of the Spirit. So we, we see this, the, the power of the Spirit just continuing to work through him as he continues in what he is doing. Um, another uh, just well-known passage, uh, just shortly after that, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, uh, says, And he came uh, to uh, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So that's the highlight right there, you know, he's... 
just again, it's the spirit on on the, on Jesus, uh, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and uh, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus, you know, very much just recognizing um, that this prophecy is about him, um, that the Spirit of the Lord is on him to empower him as he goes through his work of teaching and bringing redemption to Israel. Another Old Testament prophecy, um, also from Isaiah, that that brings uh, this up, uh, Isaiah 42, uh, just the first verse there, it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So, definitely something that, like, if you pay attention to what's going on in the in the Old Testament, um, there's definitely this idea that that the the Messiah, when he comes, is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going to have the Spirit on him to empower him, and Jesus embodies that in his ministry. Now, when we consider the uh, the miraculous power of Jesus, he did. Um, all sorts of things that are just beyond, you know, what anybody could do if God wasn't working through them. Um, it definitely seems that the Holy Spirit is the active power that is enabling Him to do these things. Um, I mean, just uh, going forward to, you know, after after it's all over, and Peter is speaking in the Book of Acts. Uh, chapter 2, verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Peter's looking back at the life of Jesus, and he's pointing to all the miraculous things that Jesus did. And what's the what's the conclusion that he draws from um, the the fact that Jesus was doing all these miraculous things? What, what should that tell the people? He's from God. He's from God, right? Yeah, God attested to him by enabling him to do all these things. Um, but did Jesus do these things through his own power? I mean, it's again, it's easy to think about. It's like, well, he's God. You know, he can he can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, he's got ultimate power. Um, do do we need to bring in the second person of the Trinity? Um, and I mean, in a sense, I guess you could argue that way. But when we look at some of the places that kind of give us some information about this, it certainly seems to be the case that he wasn't doing things in his own power, but was doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I was going to say, I think even like in the Garden of Gethsemane, some accounts even talk about how he wrestled mm-hmm. and then how the Lord sent angels to minister to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, just showing that. He wasn't self-contained in terms right. of his ability to go through that. Mm-hmm. He needed to look to God right. to sustain him. So, you know, to to your point. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And there's a there's a number of passages that, in a sense, seem to show the weaknesses and limitations of Jesus. 
that wouldn't really make sense if we were just thinking of Jesus as, you know, in himself, the second person of the Trinity, just exercising his power all the time. He really seems to be, in some ways, limited. And there are also times when he's exercising his power that specifically it's attributed to the Holy Spirit. Many times it's not. It's just, you know, it's just Jesus did this powerful thing, and it doesn't say, you know, specifically one way or another. So, and again, I get, in a sense, you could interpret it in any way. Uh, or you could interpret it either way, that it's you know his own power or it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But where we have information, it does, and, and at least in my opinion, seem to point in the direction that it's the Holy Spirit that is providing this power and that he is, again, just limiting himself in his incarnation because he is to be the representative man. So... Um, one, one place where the Holy Spirit is specifically mentioned um, is when Jesus is casting out demons and, and people are um, complaining about this and they're saying, oh, well, he's doing it by, you know, by the power of Satan, basically. Um, and Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 28, uh, Jesus says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And there, I mean, he's you know he's basically saying it's like if I, if I remember correctly, I don't have the the previous verse in front of me, but it's you know if if I'm doing it by the power of Satan, well then you know who are your disciples casting out uh, demons by? But if I'm doing it by the the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Um, and so there, he seems to be attributing his power to cast out demons to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and and also ties that into promises of the Old Testament. It's like, yeah, the guy who's supposed to come and do things by the power of the Holy Spirit, that indicates that the kingdom of God's here. Um, so if I'm doing this by the, by the power of the Spirit of God, um, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Um, parallel passage in Luke 11.20, interestingly, he says, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons... And so there, um, again, just just pointing out that it's the power of God, it's the it's the active force of God, not to not to go in the direction of saying that the Holy Spirit is an impersonal active force of God, but um, but it's you know the Holy Spirit is how God accomplishes His acts of power, um, and so it's by the power of the Holy Spirit working in Jesus uh, that He does these things. And we also see, um, again, this goes back to something that, that uh, Pastor Rick pointed out, uh, just some of, the, some of the weaknesses and limitations of Jesus. And specifically um, in his uh, exercising miraculous power, some of these passages, are, they can be a little bit puzzling. Um, but I think, I think they help explain what uh, our understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. But if we look at Mark chapter 6 uh, and verse 5, um, there, speaking of Jesus, it says, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Um, and it's it's really weird to think, well, it's like, well he's God, and he, he, he couldn't do many mighty works there. Um, but, I, I mean, I think if we understand that as it's like, well, it's just the Holy Spirit, in the wisdom of God, because of everything that was going on and the unbelief of these people, the Holy Spirit was not giving Jesus the, the power to do this at this particular time. 
and Jesus, in perfect harmony with the will of the of the Father and the Spirit, is like, yes, I'm not being granted this power to do this, so just doing these few things that I'm granted, and that's it. Um, limiting it to that. Um, another passage, uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 17, says, uh, on one of those days, he was uh, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I guess this isn't a, exactly an ex- example of limitation, but it's a, it's a statement of specifically the power is here in this instance. This is an instance where the power to heal is present with Jesus. So, again, it seems to be just kind of the flip side of this is a time that the Holy Spirit is enabling Jesus to heal people. And I think when we consider these things, um, it's it's it becomes difficult to understand them if we're just looking at Jesus as doing miraculous things in his own power rather than depending on the Holy Spirit. Where if we look at it as... as his, depend, his dependent on dependence on the Holy Spirit, then I think these passages make a lot more sense. Ben? Yeah, I don't know if you covered this earlier or not, but I'm just looking back at a couple chapters to Luke 4, 18, 19, where he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Mm-hmm. In some ways, the implication of that is, is, is kind of what you're saying, too. Mm-hmm. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Mm-hmm. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, set liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the Lord's favor. Yeah. It's the Spirit that's mm-hmm. anointing him for this and, and driving him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, we did we did mention that. But yes, that's um, that that does really seem to indicate that the Holy Spirit is empowering him to do these works. Um so, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's the proper way to view this. And so, like, the Holy Spirit is just very actively involved in the ministry of Jesus on earth. Um, it's not just like, okay, yeah, the, you know, you, you got, the, you got the, the members of the Trinity. Well, you know, in the life of Jesus, you know, the second member of the Trinity, he comes on the scene. And then, you know, the other two just kind of fade into the background and aren't really involved. No, they're intimately involved in everything that Jesus is doing. Um, the, it, I mean, the, the Trinity works in unity. That we can distinguish, you know, different characteristics of what it is that each of the members of the Trinity are doing. Uh, but it's one God, and He is um, fulfilling His purposes in everything that happens, and in particular in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, when we consider the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of Jesus, that is not even limited um, to uh, miraculous powers. So there's a an interesting statement um, in uh, in Luke chapter 10. Um, I'm not going to read the whole statement here, but just in verse 21, it says, "In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, uh, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise.'" And understanding and revealed them to little children, and so there, Jesus is looking at the at the the work of the Father and the um, just his um, his sovereign decision of how his grace is bestowed, and Jesus says, uh, or, well, and it says that he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Um, so even 
even Jesus's rejoicing um, is is tied to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm sure that we could probably look at every aspect of Jesus' life and say that the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in all of those things. Uh, we just don't have, you know, tons of explicit statements in Scripture that bring those things out. But um, I think we can we can kind of extrapolate and say that yeah, the Holy Spirit is just involved in everything that Jesus is doing. When we get um, on toward the the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, then we see as things come to a climax that the Holy Spirit is still intimately involved in what's going on. When we look at the the sacrifice of Jesus uh, when he went to the cross, uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, um, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself... uh, without blemish to God, purify our consciences for dead works to serve the living God. So there we see that it's it's talking about that Christ is offering himself up, um, but it says that he's doing it through the eternal spirit. Um, any thoughts on what that might mean? Insight. I mean, I don't have any any great insight, but it's just a again just a reiteration of um, just that everything that Jesus is doing is is through the Spirit. I mean, it's just um, I mean, I it's it's hard to you know speculate about like you know what what would Jesus have done if you know the Holy Spirit wasn't you know with him guiding him through all these things. Obviously, any sinful man would you know would turn away from the will of God, especially when it involves great suffering. Um, but, you know, and when we see um, Jesus in the garden, as Pastor Rick had mentioned, you know, obviously there was a great reluctance there to go through with, with the suffering that he was going to go through. But he was strengthened. He was uh, given power by God to enable him to, to go through with what he needed to go through. Um and so, but I mean, I think it's it's very true that the Holy Spirit is there empowering him. That as he is offering himself up as a sacrifice, that he's doing it through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there enabling him to uh, continue to obey God, even though his human nature is just has a natural revulsion to the the suffering that he is going to have to go through. And even there, it doesn't end. It doesn't even end with Christ's sacrifice. But the Holy Spirit is involved even when we move on to the resurrection. Um, there's a number of passages that, uh, that point to this fact. Um, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 11. Uh, there it says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, to your mortal bodies, through His Spirit who dwells in you. So there, it's a promise of resurrection to believers, right? Um, so that's what it's specifically talking about. Um, but uh, 
it's it's specifically saying that our mortal bodies are going to be raised through the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is going to enable our resurrection. Now, it's not absolutely explicit here um, that it's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in this particular passage. Uh, but the implication seems to be there, right? Um, that um, if it's the Spirit that's raising us and... Um, it says, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. You know, there should be an assumption there that it's going to work basically the same way. Um, it does get more explicit in other passages. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 and 20. Um, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his great power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. I guess that's, that's not necessarily as explicit there, but um, but it's it's the the working of the power of God. So I mean, again, I think we can we can infer there that the Holy Spirit is is the one that's working to raise Christ from the dead because um, it's it's. It's God that's working in him, and it's that power. It's, I mean, it's that power that works in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. And then in uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 3 through 4, it says, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, so there, again, we have the spirit tied to uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and there is a, it's a declaration of him being the son of God. There's a, a sense there in which it's, it's very much like the baptism. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a pointing to this as the reality. It's, he's proven to be who he claimed to be. Uh, by the resurrection from the dead. Um, and it's the, the spirit of holiness that is doing this. So, uh, again, it's um, the Holy Spirit who is uh, working this great thing um, in the resurrection. So, I mean, I think tying all those things together, we can see the Holy Spirit is definitely very involved um, in, the, in the resurrection of Jesus. And then finally... Um, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, uh, says, Great indeed, uh, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, that he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And so there we see the Spirit specifically mentioned um, and when we, I mean, we look at this, this is, this is kind of like laying out um, the, you know, different aspects or different time frames uh, in, the, uh, in the ministry of Jesus. So we begin with, he was manifested in the flesh. Uh, so uh, specifically, you know, incarnation of Christ. And then it says he was vindicated by the Spirit. Um, and then seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So when we get, you know, we get to the end there, you know, he's seen by angels, he's proclaimed among the nations, 
believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That all seems to be like post-resurrection, right? Um, so when we consider, well, what does that mean then, vindicated by the Spirit? How should we interpret that? Any thoughts? You think the resurrection might be at least included in that? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the primary vindication of Jesus, right? Is that he was raised from the dead. That's the thing that ultimately shows that he is who he claimed to be. Um, may not be limited to that. Um, may be speaking of the continued work of the Spirit in his life, uh, you know, throughout his ministry. Um, but uh, clearly, um, the Holy Spirit has has vindicated him, has shown him to be who he claimed to be, has uh, basically put God's seal on him as the Redeemer of God's people. Any thoughts or questions about anything that we've covered there? Ben? I always have thoughts to know what's worth saying. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit is God. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us is always a great comfort. Should be. But when we look at what he did in Christ, and kind of like it says in Romans 8, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's extra comfort to us. Mm-hmm. This is this is our seal of assurance. Mm-hmm. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is in us, and He will one day give life to us. Yeah. Our bodies and um, and He and when Satan comes against us, when indwelling sin seems so big. It's like no, this is who is in us. He is in us is greater than He is in the world. It's yeah. Just a matter of great comfort. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, that's. Um, and there's, you know, there's a, a couple places where it talks about specifically us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And as we continue our study on the Holy Spirit and just His activity in uh, redeeming and preserving the, the people of God, that we're going to be we're going to be looking at that. But yeah, it's it's definitely a great comfort when you look back at like, well, this is the Holy Spirit that got Jesus through all this. Um, so um, yeah, we have that great guarantee. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. That thought was worth expressing. Yeah, and and I mean, just even further on that same thought, you know, I do think that sometimes we just dismiss what Jesus did because he was God, mm-hmm. you know, and and this just sort of brings that back to bear to say, no, the same Holy Spirit that, you know, that worked in his life, and and you did a good job to show how much he worked in mm-hmm. his life, you know, that he. It's the same Holy Spirit that works in our lives mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So we, we can't just dismiss those things to say, oh, he was the son of God, so that's why he did it. And, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, and so, you know, right. we just sort of let ourselves off the hook in, in one sense instead of growing in godliness and holiness and, mm-hmm. you know, things like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I mean, and it, I think it does, you know, just uh, shed... A, more light on the on the incarnation and the life of Jesus when we understand that, because it is very easy to just think of as like, oh, well, he was God in the flesh. I mean, you know, he could do anything he wanted, um, and I mean, in a sense, that's true. But he was um, 
in a very real sense, limited and dependent on the Holy Spirit in, in his activities. Um, but yeah, and it is, again, uh, like has been said, a great comfort to us that it's the, it's the same Holy Spirit uh, that we have that is enabling us to fight against sin um, and to, to overcome all the, the adversities and anxieties that we face in this life. Anything else? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you that we have um, an omnipotent power in us um, that enables us to, to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And God, we, we just pray for your forgiveness for all the ways in which we uh, just uh, don't take advantage of that and that we continue to go our own way and that we continue to um, be uh, just drawn away by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, and God, you have provided all that we need for life and godliness. So God, I just pray that you would uh, cause us to, to meditate on these things, that we would uh, just truly worship you as we should. Um, and um, God, that the, the power of the Holy Spirit would just fill us in a way that we would live our lives according to your law. And uh, God, I pray that you would be with us as we, um, as we continue to uh, lift your name up. Uh, God, that we would just fully understand who you are and the great work that you have done. Uh, and God, that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do and think. Uh, and just that you would, by your Holy Spirit, preserve us to the end for your glory. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.